Hi, everybody. Welcome to Brady's Corner. I'm Brady. This is my corner. Today, we have a great guest. I can't wait for you all to meet. Mohan Ananda. Welcome to Brady's Corner. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks a lot, Brady. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, Mohan, your background and what you're doing currently um, is so deep. There's so many things. I don't even know where to begin. I can't wait for everybody to meet you. It's one of the um, great blessings in my life and doing what I do to get to meet uh, a lot of interesting folks. And um, I'm looking forward to everybody hearing about you. So um, what um, could you could you introduce yourself a little bit and uh, share with the audience? Certainly. I, I, I am an immigrant from India. I came to the United States in 1967 and came to Pasadena uh, in California. And I've really never left in the sense I lived always in the neighborhood of Pasadena. I came as a student at uh, California Institute of Technology. It's one of the, I think the most prestigious schools in the world. So I'm very proud of being there. And then I finished my schools and uh, studies, and I have uh, in my professional life, there is a three st stages. Stage one, after my PhD in astrophysics, I started working at uh, JPL, part of NASA, and uh, I was more involved in the various interplanetary missions, that's one. Then I migrated to another uh, think tank uh, at Aerospace Corporation, primarily for Department of Defense. And I became uh, one of the primary architects of GPS, Global Positioning System. And I consider that to be my most valuable contribution to society and mankind. That's, the, I mean, there are many things I did, but I am very proud of it. And I have a lot of uh, deep, uh, this is when, uh, of course, the time of uh, Soviet Union, and we had to have a very good uh, weapon system. And GPS was developed and integrated with all our weapons as, as a force effectiveness part of it. Of course, GPS became very, very uh, useful to practically everybody in the world. That's my stage one life. Then, because I was traveling a lot, I was raised. Uh, as a liaison officer with uh, NATO countries. So I kind of thought maybe I should go to law school. I, I, I changed my profession in a way in become a lawyer. That's my second stage. And as a lawyer, I worked with a lot of companies, startup, you know, mid-size, uh, even large companies, helped them to raise money and things of that type. And also an area which I was very much involved in the intellectual property because I'm technology background. And so I have, I myself, I have a number of patents. So that, so, but I help people to go and get patents, things like that. That's my second stage. The third stage, which I am currently in, it became an entrepreneur. And I started a number of companies. Some of them are failures, but I have learned a lot from it. But I, I actually uh, took four companies public now. One, stamps.com, another investnet, and another jab, it, uh, Stamps was in NASDAQ, Investnet in New York Stock Exchange, and another jab ventures in London Stock Exchange. And recently I took a SPAC company 
again in NASDAQ. So, uh, and every, you know, together, all together, I might have raised over a billion dollars. So it's very, very successful experiences. And I consider myself lucky to learn many things. And currently I am in the, in the, the, the current SPAC, uh, we call the merger with the target company. That's the space I'm in currently. So this gives you a little kind of an outlook of my current professional background. Thank you so much for that. So to dig into, um, just so for everybody's benefit here, SPAC stands for what now? SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. Just okay. basically like, let me kind of spend a minute on it. Uh, generally, companies uh, go public through IPO or initial public offering. And the way you do that, you have to have basically the, the numbers, meaning how good you are, what's your total revenue, what's the profit you have. And you convince the investors based on it, I want to raise X amount of dollars and the valuation and things like that. That's the common practice of company going public. The SPAC is a little different. The special purpose acquisition company is what is called the blank check company. There is no company, there is no product, no services. What you really have is people, meaning like, for example, me, I go to the investors and said, I am good. I can find you a good company later, but I don't know which one, but give me the money, you know, you raise money, but it is going public. That company is going public. Once you raise the money, then you go and find a suitable target and negotiate with them and come back and come up with the valuation and then go back to the, the, the investors and get their approval and you demerge them. That's the process. And that is really get part of uh, kind of traction. The real reason is, I think it's the most efficient way because now instead of them directly looking at the companies, you're looking at that team who is qualified, capable, experienced, who have done these things, and you bring them and tell them, you go and figure it out, bring it to us, and then we will approve. So that's a two-stage process. And this is what currently, I think I learned a lot by going through, of course, you learn by doing it, and I'm in the process of doing it. So that's, that's SPAC. Thank you so much for sharing that. And additionally, on top of all that, in your spare time, you decided to write a book um, autobiography of an immigrant. <laughs> exactly. That's because primarily it's because of the, the pandemic. The, I used to travel really crazy. I mean, my wife uh, wasn't very happy about my travels, but uh, I couldn't go anywhere the last two years. So I thought this is the time to, to take advantage of the the, the time. So I started, I mean, I was thinking of writing my, my kind of experience before, but it really became real during the, the pandemic and I started writing it. In fact, I have a book right behind here. I don't know whether you can see, <laughs> this is the book. It's, uh, it's I, I mean, it's a good experience. And I met, of course, Doug uh, in you. Doug helped me to pull it together and it's, uh, it's available in uh, Amazon. That is great. That is great. Thank you for sharing. Can we, can we talk about that? You know, so your, your book as an autobiography of an immigrant, can we talk about your journey 
and and really the challenges as, as well as you know the opportunities and, and everything else would would love to hear kind of an overview and um you know not only of the book but but your journey um, which covers uh, which the book covers um and, and dig into that a little bit certainly the book okay i told you the the way uh, the book came out but i was always thinking because i come from uh, you know another country and my children born here and i have grandchildren they, uh, even though we have taken them to india a few times uh, they still really don't know a lot about my roots or what my upbringing what my you know experiences so i had three objectives writing the book objective one is to be something which i can pass it on to my children and grandchildren that's uh, something i can share with them of course i i tell them stories and all but it's not like uh, they they get everything so that's the objective one is to have create a legacy so that they will learn about me and my background you know in the future second objective i was uh, i came as a student and i went through all kind of uh, <laughs> troubles and difficulties and growing up so i thought i could be uh, not as a role model at least a, an example for the young people to look at it and what type of things people encounter and how do you manage it how do you uh, kind of you know solve problems or try to get best out of it so that is the second objective as a document more like a reference book something people can use it the third objective is just for the business people and when you start a company there are a lot of issues there are a lot of things you have to look through so i wanted to kind of share my experience in various companies i have been with how those things happened and what the results and how things not, did not work or how certain things worked and that was the, the objective so those three objectives was really the my purpose of writing the book and i think the book conveys that and so you know of course i got some feedback from people read it and they they felt that purpose was i mean not 100% satisfied but quite a bit satisfied in that sense thank you for that um i'm seeing some parallels in another immigrant um, there was uh, a, a gentleman that came over and also settled in Pasadena, um, Albert Einstein. <laughs> uh, well, no he, he's my, my role model, so there is no comparison. <laughs> well, you know, you, I, you're, you're very humble, but I would say that, you know, the, the GPS technology and, and everything related to that, um, that's that's a huge accomplishment, and you know one that that's been very creative and and helpful for mankind um, as as well. And you know what is what is your thought? On, like, can you talk a little bit about that? And and when when were you doing? Was that about the same time you were liaising for NATO? No, subsequently, because GPS, uh, the okay, there are GPS was conceived primarily as a a forced effectiveness, a enabler for the, the weapon system, any weapon. For example, if you want to go and uh, target a particular site, doesn't matter what it is, you, you, the statistically, if you 
uh, you know, launch that those missiles or anything, you need many more to, to touch the target because the probability of getting the target is not very good. So some people started thinking, can we navigate the, the missile on the way to the target? So that means you have, you know where you are, continuously you know where you are, where you want to go and reach the right place. That means instead of say, you need 10 vehicles to go on target, you just need one vehicle now. So that becomes the force effectiveness. And that's how the, the whole concept of GPS became a part of the weapon system. But the problem is the if you're, of course, the, the, the adversary will go after the weapon and GPS being the, the navigator, they can go after the GPS. GPS, of course, the satellite itself, you can go after, but the, you, you can have many satellites and, and you know, protect it. But the signal, the signal itself, very important to have this. If the target or the, your weapon does not, the, you know, your phone, as an example, if it doesn't receive the signal, doesn't give you where you are or what the na navigation information is. So they can go and destroy the signal. The way you destroy, one of the examples is, it's, uh, you can have a nuclear uh, explosion in that upper atmosphere and that can create what we call scintillation. So we have to come up with a, a system to survive that threat or that attack. And so that is one of my primary responsibilities. The second part of it, the, in order to get your position accurately, you need to know where these satellites sending the signal accurately. And that is generally done by ground system. The ground system receives, uh, there are certain ground systems, you know, places, it receives the signal and computes and it sends the information to the satellite. That information comes to your receiver. I mean, that's how it works. But the problem is adversary can just eliminate the ground system. So if the ground system is eliminated, uh, then there is no way you can get an accurate information from the satellite. So then your accuracy becomes degraded. So we have to, that is a potential threat. So we have to come up with a system by which you have to uh, correct that. So I came up with an idea, what is known as cross-link. This is not a classified information. I cannot tell you how my, I protected the signal that is classified, but that is now, we actually went to Tromso uh, in the upper in, uh, part of Norway and Adelaide in Australia and did some you know, experiments to see whether the signal is safe even with the uh, scintillation. If, so instead of putting a nuclear bomb in the <laughs> upper atmosphere, we created uh, uh, helium, helium, uh, you know, kind of thing in the thing, and that will mimic scintillation. And the scintillation will, you know, disturb the frequency, but we have done something which I cannot disclose in such a way that we can really close the link. The link is closed, no problem. You don't lose the signal. Now, the accuracy of the things, the ground system is destroyed. So we came up with this concept called cross-link ranging. Cross-link ranging is nothing but ranging between the satellites. That's you send a signal to the other satellite. So it doesn't come down to Earth. That the primary signal is for the receiver to get is coming to the ground. The other one is 
called crosslink and that will automatically on the in the satellite it will calculate it will know the exact location so the accuracy doesn't degrade our requirement was six months and we have tested it for more than two or three years accuracy is perfect so so the accuracy is good signal is good so the weapon system is good so as i just want to give you that that was the, the responsibility this is all uh, before uh, the accident one accident happened uh, uh, due to uh, a korean airline uh, went uh, you know kind of before uh, you know they had a good navigation system they went into soviet union and soviet union then shot the plane down oh, and wow. immediately after that reagan uh, kind of made it reagan was the president at the time and he made a statement i'm going to get uh, the gps full accuracy to everybody primarily for the airlines and then he made it for every civilian so that was a tremendous transformation that happened but the defense system capabilities are still preserved but you get the same accuracy but the reason i'm saying is it's not only a civilian benefit it is really the force enhancer for the whole american so so not a lot of people i think know that i know i was surprised to learn that um in when i took a geographic information systems course in college um that it was originally created by the department of defense the gps it is, still, it is you know in fact the, the, the budget it's, on, it's online budget the, the, when i initiated this crosslink ranging that cost close to two billion but they have it's one page report they approved it and they went and you know made everything now every satellite is equipped but there are more uh, payloads in the satellite now so we can do more things and it's a it's a very very uh, successful it, probably it is one of the most successful programs in the in, in the dod uh, arsenal now you mentioned something the other day about the um, U.S. needing to catch up on our technology in regarding to intercepting uh, hypersonic missiles. Um, yeah. I, I read something you wrote. I, I wrote it in LinkedIn. A <laughs> little bit of my frustration. My frustration is this. We are spending close to $800 billion or more every year. More than the next 20 countries or more than anybody put together. Now, because of even though we do, we are afraid of a nuclear attack. For example, in the Korean War, you know, the Russia, I mean, they have 3000 plus nuclear weapons. So they kind of said, we may be able to, you know, we may use it. So obviously, we meaning America, their budget is less than 40 billion. We are 20 times more but we are afraid that this could come. I mean, it would be catastrophic. The real reason it is catastrophic, even though we can defend uh, parts of it, but not 100%. So if you can't defend 100%, any one, one we can create a catastrophic you yeah. know, danger. So my, my theory is what Reagan actually started called the Strategic Defense Initiative, SDI which is a space-based defense system. Means if anybody launches or initiates a nuclear weapon system, we can detect it, we can identify it, 
you can destroy it. I mean, before it does any damage. And you need to get a 100% uh, you know, capability, meaning there is no hole in it. So if whether North Korea or Iran or now Russia, we thought it will be a you know reasonable country, so it won't use something like that. But anybody, so we, I think, in my in that LinkedIn writer, we should initiate that process. It may take some time, but if in eighties, you know what eighties technology? In two thousand and twenty, the technology is amazing. So we can do much better, more efficiently and more creatively, but it'll take some effort. Not, it's not a guaranteed thing, but we should do it so that if we do that, then there is no more nuclear threat possible. Because so we can 100%. Mohan, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about UFOs. Okay, yeah. you've, you've, seen, you've seen those, the, 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 the images flying around at Mach 8, um, in water, out of water, um, the Department of Navy released uh, videos. Uh, your your thoughts on that? Of course, I, don't I, don't disclose anything that's that's classified. No, I would not say anything. I you know, but let me tell you my my feeling of UFO. Ninety nine plus percentage of UFO is man made. Okay. We don't know who made or how it is. There there are still things which we have no knowledge. The reason is, there are a couple of reasons. One, there is life outside our solar system. There is no question about it. Because our universe, it's not even universe, it's called almost multiverse. There is so many uh, systems. So the, every stars may have a planetary system. And there is a high probability statistically high probability that there is life outside. And some life form could be more advanced than what we are. And we are still in the evolutionary process. So the capabilities of outside uh, living systems, we don't know. We don't know many things and our, we are still learning. So there is a probability of, but the, the one issue Many of the, the nearby so-called planetary systems in our galaxy or outside the galaxy, it takes from a, if, if you believe in what Einstein said, the speed of light is the maximum speed with which uh, a, a somebody could travel, then it takes several light years, thousands of light years to reach a, a somebody to come. But I have, uh, that's where yeah, I kind of have some doubt in Einstein's assumption or a theory that speed of light may not be the limiting factor. If that is the case, then of course you can reach like, you know, one thing I know, our thought, our thought travels instantly. I can be now on Mars. I'm right there. It, it doesn't take any time. If thought can travel. I think my thought takes a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I'm saying is so there could be something which can travel faster than speed of light. We don't sure. know that yet. And so there could be potential visitors from some place. We don't know that. And we we have to still learn more about it. That's just my understanding of the UFO. 
I don't know that I answered it correctly, but that's my opinion. Well, going back to your your thoughts on our need to improve our our interception capability, you know, and in, in seeing some of those in, images, and they're all over mainstream news, right? Of of particularly the one, the Navy one that captures the the, the image going at Mach Mach eight, um, the object, and if. If that's not us, and that's one of our, uh, you know, another nation, we sh we we need to, uh, you know, get get on uh, get on that and and improving our technology to to whatever they have, right? So that is very very true. I mean, we but but I can kind of give a hint in the sense we have the technology, we have similar or better, and some of the things we see are also created by us. Okay. Meaning, okay. we we are good at it. I mean, there is no question about it. But we we need to, you know, there are the things we still don't know. The, the, the you know, there are two parts: detection. First, you have to identify and detect it almost instantly when it happens. The second, we should be able to go after it and remove it if when we need, need to do it. Those areas needs to be perfected and not only. Theoretically, you know, make it formally deploy it, test it, and make it operational. So that that takes effort, and that takes funding, that takes uh, dedication. But people, some or other, think our weapon system. We are spending too much. Uh, we have to clean it up. Maybe that is true in many ways, but we have to do it at the right type of things. I agree. Yeah, thank you for that, and uh, I agree. Um, you, it, by anybody's uh, measure, your, your first career or first really two careers with JPL and then Department of Defense um, is, is a huge success by, by anybody's measure. And then, you know, like Benjamin- Let me interject that. The reason is, if you look at the, the people, those who got Nobel Prize, 95% of the Nobel Prize winners, their work they, the, the real reason, they may get it when they are 75 or 80, but the, the work, what they have done to get the Nobel Prize is all done when, when they are 35 or below, mm -hmm. including Einstein's, the relativity theory, that work was done, he was fairly young. So everybody who is really capable or producing and creative and innovative and really breakthrough, they do when they are young. So I said, I, I think I've been pretty creative and all when I was young. Then I said, now I want to do something different. It doesn't need to be that creative on to law and being in management in uh, entrepreneurship and bring those intelligent, capable young people to do what. And I would have done when I was here. I just want to give you that's the transition, and people should recognize and do accordingly. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And um, you know, it's um, you know, just looking at everything you've accomplished since then um, is you know, again, every single like four public companies. Uh, can we just dig into stamps.com a little bit because that's another thing that really did kind of revolutionize the way we approach. Um, you know, not just mailing and whatnot, but logistics and, and a lot of things have changed as a result of that. Can you talk about that? I want to dig into that. I want to dig into, you know, just other people as well, you know, that 
maybe um, they have a you know thriving job and and at a company or corporate America, and also you know so entrepreneurship versus entrepreneurship, and and dig into both of those and and what advice you have for folks. Let me tell you the the way the stamps.com came into being or the concept in 92 when the internet was not really that much in fact internet came from what we called the darpa network sometime back which i was kind of partially involved as a right from uh, the a, a, a days of my caltech days to jpl days because they you know the darpa network centers were these institutions connecting and they were doing research how to use internet the internet came into being and then slowly but steadily the world wide web www came into being that's the time, but it's very, very small uh, bit rate. It's, it's a, but I knew, I felt this is going to grow. This is the world. I mean, some or other, I had that feeling. So I started this, uh, this uh, because I was into IP. So I wanted to pr protect certain property rights. So I went and uh, did this, uh, this initial patent in the e-commerce area. E-commerce, now we call e-commerce those days, there is no e-commerce or nobody. This is before Amazon. This is before anything. I'm talking about 92. And 96, I got the patent. That's the year I, you know, use. basically what it is, anytime two people connect, there has to be a continuous connection. Means it's encrypted, plus there is somebody looking after. It, that's where the SaaS, you know, model eventually came. But that my patent happened to be like almost like a foundational patent for there are thousands, not thousands, tens of thousands additional patents have come, but it all refers back to my original patent as a you know a, a reference. But so the, with this, the, the the real printing stamps by anybody is like printing money because stamps is money. So we of course, the United States Postal Service is not easy to allow you, but they eventually, they found it, it's very beneficial. And, uh, you know, we saved a lot of money for them because they used to spend, uh, for every dollar they spend on stamps, close to 30 cents is printing, securing, distributing. So it's like a waste of, total waste of money. Here, they don't print, they don't secure, they're nothing user pays the same dollar, so they saved a significant amount of money. I mean, that's why the stamps became very successful. And uh, uh, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's in the area of primarily in the e-commerce, but it's in the log logistics area. And we don't do anything, we meaning stamps.com doesn't have any logistical, uh, you know, like a UPS or uh, FedEx, they have all the, the, the trucks and, planes we just have computers that's it but the the we were uh, at the time you know actually recently we sold it uh, but we had uh, about a billion dollar revenue but we were doing close to 20 billion dollars worth of you know actual shipping services which is and the the, the profit margin was close to 400 million so it's very very uh, from a from a value proposition it's very very good and we sold it for 6.6 .6 billion to a private equity company so it was a very successful uh, uh, <laughs> wow well so so yeah i mean that's um 
beyond beyond um, you know as success in, in any any measure. What advice you know what what are some of the challenges you went through? What what advice might you have for entrepreneurs versus entrepreneurs um, and and going from there? Yes, I think the challenges are you if you start something from my experience, it can succeed or it can you know be a failure. That could be both are possibilities. But you have to have a belief in yourself. You have to say, it's like the little, little engine says, I can do it, I can do it. You have to have that vision. And now you go to that destination, you have to identify the, the end point or whatever it is, then you map out the, the navigating to that point, come up with a, a, a process. Of course, you need to bring, you know, any, any startup, any company, any business, there are three ingredients. One, the product or service, what you're going to do. Two, team, the people involved. Three, the capital to start. So, okay, but the, among all the three things, the most important is the team, the people you bring together. I mean, it doesn't need to be a lot of people, but you need to, you know, you, one cannot think you can do everything yourself. There is no way. So, but you may want to bring others as it requires, not that you need to have a 20 people start with. Maybe another, another one guy is enough initially, but within a month or a week, you may want to bring another guy. But each time you bring, you have to bring the person with the integrity and the person you can work with, with the qualification. If you're developing a software, that person should certainly know how to code or whatever the software requires. Or if you are developing some instrument, that you should know the, the electronics or whatever you need. But you need the right qualification, but more than that, you need the, the integrity and the, the, the similar visionary ambition. So the team is extremely important. Of course, product, if you have the right team, even if the product is not good, you can make the product better. And the third capital, there are many ways to raise money. There, of course, initially it will be difficult, but you may have to put something because you're taking the risk. You have to kind of, but you can get it from friends, family, things like that. And once it reaches certain level, there are seed capital, other a real professional capital will come into play. That's the path that I would always advise people. That's excellent advice, Mohan. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I mean, there's so much we want, I, I think we can dig into here. I, I hope to have you on again. Um, and, and we can talk about, uh, you know, one or more in, in more in depth or, or some, some current events um, as well. And is there anything that you'd like to cover before we jump off? Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> and thanks a lot. I really enjoy talking to you. I you really, as well. One, one area which I learned from you is the, the research and development tax credit, which I, I, I don't say that I learned a lot, but I was intrigued after talking to you. So I got into some area and I may want to bring back and, and kind of get your brain on that because I think that's a fantastic space because tax, I mean, I'm for paying tax because we live in a very good uh, uh, you know, community 
because of the tax money. We, we you know, of course, there is a lot of waste, but uh, sure. but still, there are a lot of. So I I support paying tax. There is no question about it. Sure. But if we, if there are certain rules and you know uh, statutory uh, things which are available. People don't know and they don't get the benefit of it. That's right. And that's where the issue would come. And you opened out certain areas for me. And I think I'm, I'm going to dig into and see how we can, you know, take advantage of it's not leveraging. It's just using the existing legal structure. That's right. I mean, so and people may not be aware of it. So that needs to be some or other communicated. So we can have a discussion, you know, on that. And I will learn quite a lot from it. Absolutely. And, and I agree uh, with that so much. I mean, all, if you look at all the public companies and, and whether they're in tech or not, um, you know, tech, home building, um, you name it, um, you can look at their 10Ks and just do a control F and see, just it'll skip straight to tax credits. And you can see how many hundreds of millions that they're taking in tax credits. Um, name, name your high tech company out there and, you know, look at their... But a lot of the startups that you, you know, you're, you're, we were talking about the entrepreneurs and folks that are, you know, let's say 500 people and less, um, they're, a lot of them don't know of this. A lot of them are unaware of, of these tax credits. And this puts them, you know, on at least equal uh, footing as far as, you know, profitability and everything else with, with uh, you know, the, uh, the big dogs of the world. So. Mohan, thank you so much for joining today, and um, we'll make sure to to make your the the link to your book available um, when we post this. And and thank you again. Thank you everyone for joining uh, today. Make sure to like and follow uh, me on social media as well as uh, YouTube. We will see you next time. Again, I'm Brady, and this is my corner. Thanks for joining us here on Brady's Corner. Mm -hmm.